Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we are live. I have, uh, well, this is Project Revelation. My name is Mike Stibbs. We've got a lot in the works at Project Revelation right now. But for tonight, I have... A uh, very special guest, Aaron Miller. He is the next generation that's coming up in fringe content. Super, super smart dude. Um, got some really uh, cool stuff that he's got coming out. Aaron, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us uh, about your YouTube channel. Hello, my name is Aaron J. Miller. Um, I am a college student. I'm going to be graduating from, with my bachelor's degree here in the spring, and I'm going to be moving on to the um, into the master's. I'm pursuing um, Old Testament and biblical studies, that sort of thing. Um, I am, I would consider myself a theologian and a biblical expert in some specific areas. I, I of course, I'm amateur. I don't have all the credentials there, but um, I have done that ever since I was maybe 11 years old. And um, I've been growing in my knowledge and in my understanding, constantly uh, growing in that. I kind of picked up, um, uh, I, I picked up the flame from my dad. Um, my dad is Matthew Miller. He runs Maranatha Ministries. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, he ran uh, the End Time Tribune and the Prophetico sometime uh, a while ago. And that's when he was pretty famous. And he has some connections with L.A. Marzulli, if you're familiar with him. And so, um, so, so yeah, that's really where I, I got to where I am. But now I have decided to take my ministry a step further. And I'm focusing on YouTube. Um, YouTube uh, is going to be a difficult uh, new step. But I'm hoping that I can uh, catch on, like my good friend here. Uh, Mike Stibbs. Uh, and my YouTube channel is Cosmologium. Uh, I just premiered my first three videos on. Are you still there? Yeah. I just premiered my first three videos on the channel today. So uh, you can go actually go check them out right now. I am also planning to do a Q&A here on Saturday um, and more information on that to come. I'm also, uh, I also think that there's some information that you have down there in the description, correct? Yes, I have, um, you have all the links to your, uh, to your books, uh, to your YouTube channel and to your Patreon as well. Um, I know I saw one video that you did. Um, it was about, 
I, I forget exactly what it was about, but it was, there was some word that was translated differently and I, it had to do with like an angel with Abraham. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Um, I think you're referring to Lila. Yes. The angel of the night. I, I actually recently have, uh, I had that in my first video that I premiered today, um, talking about how um, the name of this angel named Lila appears in the Bible, but his name is just translated over as night because that's what his name means. And you actually find this as a lot, very much so the case with angels in the Old Testament. They're referenced and they're even named, but our English translations kind of gloss over them. And so our understanding of their existence in the text is pretty much just preserved by uh, ancient tradition and also some modern scholarship. Yeah. So like if, uh, if, if, um, if someone who spoke Hebrew and they were reading that original text, they would have a, a very different meaning than mm. we, than we would see. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Because you have to understand, I mean, with any of you who've learned a new language, you, you know that there are some words that just don't perfectly translate. And when they do, um, those words may have more than one meaning that yeah. this word might not have in our language. Okay. And so that's the biggest constant problem that we have in translations of the Bible is that there are things that just don't easily translate over. Now, um, when the rabbis were reading this, this text about Lila, they, they missed him. They didn't miss him because they could see what it said in the Hebrew. And they're like, wait, well, maybe this word isn't referring to the night. It's actually referring to an angelic being. And they actually had some uh, complex traditions based on this. It shows up in the Talmud. And um, and so most Christians have, are not even aware that there's some, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll frequently be like, yeah, you know this word right here? That's the name of an angel right there. And so it does that several times in Midrashic tradition. And it's uh, really interesting how, that can actually help us understand what the text is really talking about. Very, very interesting. I mean, I think, uh, I think the Bible, um, I've heard it's been said that the Bible is, is supernaturally um, inextinguishable. Like you can't, you can never extinguish all the truths. You can never learn all the truths that are in the Bible. It's just, it's supernatural that way if there's just layer upon layer. And I love that. So you were mentioning to me, that you your specialty um, of studies is Nephilim's uh, I'm sorry Nephilim and um, demonology. Now, the demonology really intrigues me and the, the two are most definitely connected. But how does one get interested in demonology? Um, and where where do we get a lot of that from? because there's not a whole lot in the Bible or am I wrong on that? Um, I think there's a lot more in the Bible than people uh, recognize. Um, it's just, uh, again, uh, not just translation issues, but also Western readings. Um, we, you you got to understand that we all have a worldview, a way that we understand the world. We have different topics like, for instance, that a book has to read chronologically. That if you're telling a story, you have to be chronological. The ancient traditions, like in the in Israelite times, they didn't, they didn't think that if you were telling a story, you had to be chronological. And that's very certainly the case with the Gospel of Matthew. It's not chronological if you compare it to the Gospel of Luke. If you've ever seen like a Gospel Harmony, you'll see that it'll actually um, move around the chapters of Matthew in order to make it line up because, well, it's thematic directed. It's trying to make a point with themes anyway. With that said, um, 
our worldview may actually make us miss things that are there in the text. Um, as some scholars have now noted, uh, the word Elohim or gods, as we would translate it, in the biblical text, um, it does not necessarily refer to a dumb idol. It may actually refer to a spiritual being. And um, the word Elohim might not refer to a god necessarily as something worshipped, but as a mighty being. That's actually what the core meaning of the word Elohim is, just a mighty one. So um, with all that in, um, with all that stated, we know that there is actually some there in the text that's um, that we as Western people just miss, but we're actually with scholarship and its development, um, our better understandings of what the Near East was like, um, we can better understand what's going on with demonology in the Bible. With that stated, um, there are other routes in demonology that people have taken over time. Um, in the medieval era, it seemed that it was primarily to do with mysticism. Um, people, you, you it, it's shocking with um, what I understand about Christian, Christianity now, that um, we have whole grimoires. We have one written by a pope, I believe. This is just a list of demon and angel names so that you could summon them. So can you think about that? The Christians thought that they could summon a demon and make them do what they want. So actually, for the most part, it wasn't seen necessarily as Satanists were or, or demon worshipers were summoning these things. Anyway, like one of these was... Uh, uh, What's his name? John D. He was the chief advisor of Queen Elizabeth back in the time of the Reformation, and he was 100 um, percent an occultist, and he was summoning uh, spirits. And um, so, a lot of our understanding, the we have certain demons that are well known, like um, we have Belphegor, Asmodeus. Um, these are names you may see from television, or if you've read books about demons, you'll, these names will come up. Um, even though these appear in ancient documents, say for instance, Asmodeus appears in the book of Tobit, which is in the Catholic and uh, Orthodox Bibles. Mm -hmm. um, and we also have Belphegor, which appears in the Old Testament in uh, the book of Numbers as Balpeor, is that how it's actually spelled in Hebrew. Um, but they developed a lot of this stuff and they lined it up with the seven deadly sins. And there was a lot of, they would come up with different ways. Yeah, you have to write this symbol on the ground in order to summon the specific demon to make him do what you want. Anyway, back to you. Yeah, so that's that's super interesting. Because um, even even now, and I know that there's a, there's a quote by um, a famous occult group, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and they talk about symbology and they talk about how the the closer you are to having that symbol correct, the more you're going to be able to summon that specific spirit. And I make the case because when you look at our dollar bill, you know, you've got that those you've got that spirit, that that symbolism on our dollar bill. And it's interesting how you know, the it's people worship the dollar and they're tied to it. They're really seriously. I mean, we're with, with all manner of speaking, we're kind of a slave to it unless we're saved by Jesus. And, you know, we're outside of that system. I find that very interesting. Also what, I mean, also I've, I've read like old extra biblical sources about even King Solomon, how he used demons to uh, build the temple. Now I don't, 
think that it's necessarily true, but I find that interesting. Is there any correlation with that that or anything that you found in your research with with any of that what of what King Solomon was doing? Yeah, if you go on Spreaker, you can find a um one of my podcasts is called Christian Conspiracy Theory Retrograde, where I actually like cut this down into three long episodes of me delving into the possible uh, biblical connection to this tradition about Solomon controlling demons. Um, it's pretty sparse. I think that it was based on at least some level of history, um, but it may have gotten degraded over time. Uh, to put, uh, are you aware with um, the? Book of Jubilees. Do you, do you know much about that? Especially bit, yeah. when it pertains to this to demonology. Well, in chapter ten, um, we're told that God um, give uh, right after the flood, Noah um, has to pray to God about these demons because the demons, which had arisen out of the bodies of the dead Nephilim, were tormenting humans beyond their ability to um, uh, to escape them. So. Um, one of the things that God does is that he gives Noah a book about how to, uh, different remedies and how to deal with, with demons. And I think that this actually crossed out into most cultures because what do most cultures around the world do to deal with demons? They have liturgy and they have uh, amulets and they have these symbols, um, which I think it really does tie into some level of truth behind demonology because demons, um, demons don't think like us. They are very different. Uh, so do fallen angels. They are very different in the way that they deal with things because they're in the spirit world. Okay, so it's all about authority. Um, so a demon cannot uh, enter into a human uh, who is saved by Christ because the Holy Spirit is inside of them. And um, if the Holy Spirit is inside of them, they don't have a right into that. However, if the Christian is in sin at that point and is resisting the Holy Spirit, the demon might have access and he thinks so the real reason why demons are always tempting us is because they're trying to get us to somehow give them access into our lives and you'll see if you've seen this um in uh, most stories about ouija boards gone wrong yeah what happens demons are demons manifest themselves more powerfully they're able to harm people and even kill people and um that's why every time i hear someone's like yeah, I do witchcraft. I'm like, don't do it again. Stop now. Because once you're stepping, uh, that's when it's crossing over, where, where you're stepping onto the property of wicked spirits. And they think that if you're on their property, they can do whatever they want to you. Okay. So Christians, uh, however, all humanity has a right and power to control demons. Um, I think this is so. Um, and I think this is what's going on in those traditions about Solomon and about Noah, and that um, these liturgies uh, would would uh, actually gave us the ability to control demons. However, you had to know the demon's name, and if you knew the demon's name, okay, that's a word, right? You have to know the word, the right words to control the demon, because again, this is about authority, right? And they would also invoke another spirit being, like an angel. Um, that has some sort of authority in pagan cultures that would be a god, which is kind of circular reasoning because most of them were worshiping demons anyway. But anyway, um, let's. Um, so I think that that's uh, one of the most important things to know about demonology. What happens to Christians? This is what's so monumental about Christianity is that Christ shows us 
that we don't have to know the demon's name. We don't even have to do a liturgy. All we can do is if we call upon the name of Christ and command the demon under that authority, the demon has to come out. We, and um, it kind of goes into what my criticisms of Catholic exorcism, because this is pretty much what they do, right? They have long liturgies and they have to know the demon's name. And it works. It's yeah, true. Yeah. It works. But it, they're not doing what they what they're. I mean, you don't have to go through all of that. Like the Bible says in several sections, Paul he commanded the demon to come out, and it's it says he came out that very hour. But we have record of demonic possessions that exorcisms that lasted years. Yeah. Why? Well, one of the reasons I think is that they've actually the demons have divisively convinced Catholics that if they keep invoking Mary, that gives them more power. It's it's um, recently I, I had um, someone was reading a book on uh, Catholic exorcism. It was written by a Catholic priest, and he was like, "Demons hate Mary. Whenever they hear the Mary or they see an image of Mary, they respond very negatively." Um, and they were like, "What's your response?" And I was like, "Well, my response is, it's like, of course they're gonna do that. They're liars. Demons are liars. They're tricksters. That's all they do. And if they can do anything to prolong the process of exorcism." They're going to do it if they can convince you to invoke anyone other than Christ's name, which is the only name. If, if, if we keep adding other names into this, this, yeah, and then this guy too, this guy too, um, it, it's, it's really diluting the water. And not only that, they're not, for the most part, they're not commanding under that authority. It's more like they're reading a liturgy and they're kind of invoking that. Um, and this isn't, I'm not trying to... Um, slam on the Catholic Church, but I'm saying that I don't think their exorcism method is, uh, it's, it's looking very, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it, it works technically in the most part, but it would always work if you were invoking Jesus. Right. So that, I mean, yeah, it seems, it seems to me a little bit, I guess, esoteric. Um, also, um, if you look, if, if you look at when Jesus was casting out a demon, the Pharisees always got so jealous. You know, they always just got really like, like, what is he doing? He casts out demons by, by the finger of, of Satan or, you know, and the reason why is because even if you look into the Jewish exorcism, they had like this crazy list of, of like things they had to do, like all these different rites they had to say and all this stuff. And then Jesus comes along and says, get out and they go. And then they're looking at him like, well, how did you do that? That's not, that must not be by God. That's gotta be by, you know, by Satan. And, um, have you ever seen, uh, or heard of Bob Larson? I have not. Maybe. Oh, dude, bro. Um, you gotta, I, I'm just telling you just so, just so you can critique what's going on there. You got to check him out. It's, it's, I I've, I've actually been to a few of his conferences back in the day. Um, but he, he does the whole Catholic thing, but he's not Catholic. I think he's like Lutheran you know or something like that. Is he that dude that like, he'll, he'll have like a tent meeting and then he'll throw his hands on the, make him writhe around um, like why he, are you possessing this guy he well he something he does he does do that like he carries a cross in his bible who put the cross on people's foreheads and um i was like i said i was at one of his conferences and you know he asked everybody who felt mm -hmm. like they needed to a demon cast from them to stand up 
and everybody stood up except for one person. And that's who he went to. Um, the one person that didn't stand up and it was, it was, uh, it definitely, if it, if it was fake, if it was a show that, that he put on, um, it definitely was a good show because this lady was like, she was like cussing and screaming. Um, but yeah, anyway, just go check him out. Um, Hey guys, we're here with Aaron Miller. Um, he's even going to answer questions for you guys. If you have questions on anything that he's talked about or, um, questions on demonology. So, so you're saying that a Christian on this side of the cross has authority over these, I'll call them interdimensional beings. They have authority over them to cast them out of people. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And, and you have to be careful because demons are always trying to find a loophole. They're always trying to find a loophole. And um, one of the loopholes is, is like to convince uh, you to believe them. And one of the ways that you do this is if you recite what they've said to you out loud. Hmm. So say, for instance, they say, you're worthless. You're not saved. If you were to say this out loud, demon would be like, ah, I have one foot in. And they'll gradually do this over a long time until we have a full-on oppression where the demon's just messing with you, tormenting you. And um, really, they're just trying to twist God's law because he really does have laws, it seems. Um Demons are not allowed to kill people. As far as I've seen, they're, they're, um, it seems to be against God's law for them to, um, to attack and murder people. Uh, for the most part, they just try to convince humans to do that on their own, out of their own volition. Um, there are some instances where a demon-possessed person will kill someone, uh, but I don't think that ends very well for them. We have an angel show up and drag it out and throw it in hell. Into the, into the abyss as they were afraid that Jesus would do this to them. And that's, that's reality. Um, if they break God's law, moral law, uh, they actually have to obey that. But they're always trying to find a loophole. Okay. Right. So they have a right to manipulate us if we listen to them. And this is this is um, this passage in the book of Jubilees. I'm not 100% an advocate for the um, for the that the book of Jubilees is necessarily divinely inspired. I don't, I'm not a huge advocate on that. However, it, it has an interesting uh, description of why are demons sent here to torment us, to, to tempt us. Chapter 10, he tells us uh, Satan has this conversation with God and God um, is about to bind up all the demons. But Satan says, or Mastema as it's spelled in the book, if, if you bind up all the demons, then we'll have no way to prove that all humans are as sinful as they are. That's crazy. We, we, we see this in the book of Job. What's Job's point the whole time? What's Satan, what's Satan trying to do to Job? He's trying to show God that if I, but, but if I put him in this specific circumstance, maybe, maybe he won't turn out to be as great as he is. And that's really what demons are doing. Um, demon does. I've actually come to a, great epiphany about this recently if demon demons are not responsible for evil in the world evil does not exist all the horrors of this world are not a result of demons they're at the fault of humans listening to demons yeah. humans are responsible for all the atrocities that go on in the world at least 90 percent of them because we're listening to them um, the, I don't think the devil forced Hitler to do what he did. 
No, he just, he's like, he, he just showed him a little bit over the years how to compromise, how to compromise with morality. And over the time, he just kept listening, kept listening, kept listening until he did one of the, one of the most horrible things in the past 200 years, if not the entire human history, considering how he killed millions of people. Yeah, very, very interesting. So this is, well, this is what I would ask of you because, um, you know, especially within your age group and I mean, really any age group, a lot of, a lot of Christians, uh, myself included at times do deal with a, a demonic oppression, you know, where we feel down and we hear that voice. You know, I, I had a two year period where the first thing I would hear when I woke up was that you're nobody, you're nothing, you're never going to be anything. And it was like, I would wake up and like most mornings I would like laugh at that. Like, why is that even in my head? But once in a while, it kind of gets to you. What, what's an applicable response? What do you, what do you do to, to, to get that to go away? Um, my go-to is, um, if I'm as worthless as you say I am, then why are you spending so much time trying to convince me of that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really? I'm, I mean, these demons, every morning, come on, don't you think it has a better thing to do than to just waste its time on somebody worthless? I mean, it's worthless, right? That's how it defines you, right? So why is it spending so much time, huh? Right. And so the reason why is because it's, afraid of you they only attack things they see as a threat okay whenever they harm the wicked people those are usually the um the ones on, on the lower chain like people don't who don't have a higher position and they're basically just toying with them they're just if you see a wicked person just your everyday guy doesn't have any position of authority and you see them tortured by demons well they're just they're just having fun that's what demons do However, if you're talking about the higher ups, some of the most wicked people are the people with the most power. And they demons will not torment them or harm them as much because they're benefiting from them. And so they're going to give them everything that they want. Okay. However, they like to make Christians' lives as horrible as possible. Not only that. There are some people who will come to be Christians who they torment. And um, I have this belief that Christians, people who will come to salvation, who are predestined to salvation, um, they have an aura around them that, that demons can see. And when I say predestined, I'm not referring in the, in the Calvinist sense. I'm referring in the Molinist sense. That God understands, um, he knowing in his foreknowledge that some of us would come to salvation. He predestined the way to salvation for us. Anyway, so I think demons know this from childhood. And I was tormented since as long as I can remember. I was a little boy. And, you know, and there are, you know, some, some terrible things that can happen to us um, as children that make us question. Make us question, does God really love me? Is he really going to protect me? Is he really going to be there for me? And really, these demons are trying to stomp out that light as soon as possible. And so a lot of us who are thinking is like, yeah, I've had an awful life ever since I was, I was a child. It's almost unnatural how awful my life has been. 
it's because they i think they know they yeah. know that some of us are going to come and so what they want to do is they're going to make our life as horrible as possible so that that flame is stomped out and they and, and then we can't do what god has called us to do which is something they're afraid of the more christians there are the more legitimate christians there are the less grip they have upon the world wow. and they're going to respond very violently to that yeah so, and so go ahead i'm sorry uh, just one last thing i would take their attacks as a compliment you should take it as a compliment you should understand that if demons are attacking you so so obsessively then that means they're afraid of you right so flip the script, man. If they tell you, if they tell you that you're worthless, then you must be worth the blood of Jesus. If they tell you that you're never gonna be anything, then you must be gonna be something someday for God. Um, and I yeah, could, yeah, I mean, I could, I could identify with you on that, man, because, uh, because, dude, I was, I was attacked. My whole family was attacked, you know, um, as a child and. Dude, I had such a crazy life. I didn't get saved till I was like 30. And then it, all the attacks kind of went away for like a year or so. But then boom, it just it just comes back, dude. You know, and you got you're fighting it. You're in a war and you've got to know the word. You've got to know God. You got to pray. You got to be close to him because then, you know, it, it it's just it's war. We're not we're not born into um, a leisurely, uh, you know, type of situation we're born into combat i um yeah you, you mentioned something about the blood of christ because if demons ever tell you that you're worthless especially if they're telling you as a christian um what they're really saying is that christ's blood is worthless hmm. because christ's blood is so priceless and yet he used that to buy our souls so if they were to say that we are worthless they're actually saying Christ's blood is, and that's what you need to proclaim over your life. You need to say, um, oh, no, I have the worth that Christ has given to me, and yeah. that is infinite. Yeah, that's amazing, too. I think about that sometimes. And like if you look, if you look at the cross of Christ, it's like the great equalizer. Like it doesn't matter. Like. You know, like the left, the Democrats are always talking about equality. They have no idea what the heck they're talking about because Jesus paid the same price for every single human. He equalized everybody. It doesn't matter if you're poor, rich, whatever. He paid that same ultimate price, the highest price, and he equalized everything. And we're all, we all have that same opportunity. We all have equity, not that we're the same. But we have that we were all paid for by the same blood and we all have access to it. To me, that's to me, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we um, could also use that word equivalent. Yeah. Um, which means everybody has the same value. Maybe not necessarily the same. We're not all the same. We're all unique. Um, but we're all equivalent. We all have the same value because what is that value? Yeah. Jesus. Right. So have you ever uh, in your um experience in your 22 years of being on this earth, have you experienced demons manifesting and have you ever cast one out of your friend or family or somebody on the street? I'm going to be frank with you. Uh, no, um, I haven't seen a demon. I've heard them. 
uh, I've sensed them very strongly. Um, they, they, they stick out like a sore thumb in a church. Um, I mean, and I get really used to them because, you know, I've, I've, I've been haunted by them for so long in my life. I think demons have caught on to the fact that if, if they were to manifest themselves, um, I would be, my faith would be infinitely more strong because I'd be like, hey, if supernatural does exist. I'm going to believe in Jesus and cast you out. If demons manifest themselves, actually, that's the biggest reason I think that they don't reveal themselves in the Western eye. Mm -hmm. Very rarely do they. But if you were to go into like Africa, I've heard many missionaries be like, yeah, I saw them when I was there. I saw them in the reservation. I saw them in usually in, in, in areas where people strongly believe in spirits and are going to react to them in ways that are sinful. But the, in, in a Western culture, people might respond too positively to seeing the spiritual realm. And so, um, I mean, I was just debating with an atheist the other day. Uh, and and they kept being like, well, there's no evidence for demons, so I don't know, or, or the supernatural realm, so I don't I don't know if I should believe in God either. So you're you're like, this is why they're doing it. This they don't want you to believe in God because it's going to lead you to sin. They don't want you to believe in demons because it's going to lead you into sin. So I think that that's one of the things that they've caught on in me. Yeah. Um. So so I've never seen a demon. I, I've called them cowards before for that, but um, <laughs> I think they already know what they're doing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I've I've encountered them, um, uh, but not in a visual form. Right, right. I've heard I've heard it say, been said that um, the demonic manifestations in America, um, it's a little bit more sophisticated. It's more undercover than it would be, you know, like in Africa or you know, like a third world country. Um, you know, people that are under the influence of it, you may not be able to tell just by them manifesting, um, you know, you're, it's, it's a little bit more sophisticated action happening there. What, what do you say about that? Yeah, they, they, they have a lot of loopholes. They, they, they know how to disguise um, their presence within a person by making it look like a mental illness. They know how to, um, uh, reveal themselves, but not in the, in such a way as, you know, like, this is definite. Like, one of the biggest um, uh, occurrences of uh, demonic activity in the West is sleep paralysis. And there's a lot of them who are convinced, yeah, this isn't just my head. This is real. But doctors, they have an explanation of it. It only happens when you're laying in bed and you can't move. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
so they have so so they've set up different ways for them to uh, control the environment to make it just a little a, a little bit of reason to doubt. But there's a lot of people who suffer this who are convinced that no, this is this is just in my head. This is real because this happened. Another person saw it happening to me. Yeah. <laughs> like like I remember I I watched a documentary on YouTube on this. This one guy said that he was he had this horrible um horrible sleep paralysis episode and this demon with that's all black and red eyes is talking to him and it says that his girlfriend told him the story in the morning that she woke up and she saw this black cat sitting on his chest with red eyes and was whispering in a dark voice she couldn't hear what it was saying and um so it was corroborated by more than one person and he had never told anyone he had never told his girlfriend that he had sleep paralysis and this is um i've also heard of people passing the um sleep paralysis to another person like this one story where this one person asked um this one person he was like yeah i have sleep paralysis he tells this to his girlfriend and his girlfriend a few days later comes back to him she's, she says i hate you because now i have it and then it passed from him he didn't deal with it anymore <laughs> This, this person dealt with it and it was like this line. And so how can you explain that away Yeah, with science? But they really do try. They really do try. And, um, and so I, I think demons are more complex because in this place, because they're trying to find loopholes to make us still perpetuate doubt. Right. I think we could be able to prove that scientifically that demons exist if they would cooperate. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about that. Cause like, you know, I mean, for like, you, as you said, and I think it's, it's very well put that, you know, if they did reveal themselves in such a way, you know, then more people would believe in God, but we got a, we got a, we got a question that came in from you from a pixie, pixie doodle. Um, do human spirits exist in this world? Um, I'm assuming they mean once you pass on, you know, and you die, or are they demons pretending to be spirits of deceased people, um, as in ghost slash hauntings? I don't think there are. Um, I'm not convinced. Um, I think the usual response, I, I've actually talked to other theologians, Christian theologians on this, and they pretty much agree on this. Catholics seem to be more open to the existence of you know, human spirits haunting the world. I'm just not convinced of it. Um, and to, uh, and I, I have actually read and listened to a lot of stories uh, about people who have encountered what appeared to be the ghost of somebody who was deceased. And, um, and what's interesting about those though, is that um, they're usually related to a violent crime. And so, um, demons, I believe, why do they manifest themselves as a killer or a victim? Uh, because I think um, the demon was involved hmm. in this. Like the demon possessed someone and killed someone as a result. Um, it, or, or if the house was already possessed or, or infested with a demon, and then the demon kind of manipulated the, the the killer into killing someone or something of that matter um it's very similar to that i've heard some people say that they got possessed right after they got raped okay so it can be like um like that transference of sin why do they manifest as that person because 
um, they're they're just simply identifying with that crime. Yeah. And they may demons may actually be trapped in a loop. Um, have you heard of those ghosts that they, they don't seem to be even aware of us? They just go to this window every night, open it, and then they're gone. Or they wander the hallway and they say, um, I miss you, something like that. Who knows? And uh, they're not actually harming anyone. Uh, they don't even seem really aware of anyone because I think demons can actually be trapped in a loop. Um, huh. It may be a punishment by God uh, for their sin. Um but demons don't want to, I don't think demons necessarily want to infest a house. I think that that's why they become more violent in haunting places. They become very, they manifest more. They don't seem really, uh, they don't really seem to care about hiding their presence because they don't, I, I think it's kind of like an animal trapped in a corner. Hmm. Um, if, if it feels trapped, it responds very violently. And that's what I think is going on in poltergeist hauntings is that they're responding very violently um, to humans being there. And um, so my dad, what he always told me is that if you were to run into something like that, the best thing for you to do is to command the demon to leave. And um, my dad always had a spirit of mercy toward demons. Um, he always invoked how Jesus was merciful to demons. Um, and uh, like in the instance of Legion, the, the demons came to Jesus and begged him not to send them into the abyss. And he asked the demon, what is your name? And it lies, right? <laughs> it says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Are like, okay, whatever. That's not your name, though. <laughs> and um, But but Jesus, um, he doesn't send them into the abyss. They ask him to send them into the pigs. Do you think he didn't know that they were just going to kill the pigs and escape? He, of course, he knew that. And so he was he was merciful to these demons. And my dad, uh, and I would be like, Dad, why would he be merciful? They're evil. And his response was, is that, um, yeah, they're evil. And um, they, they, but that's just it. They can't be saved. They, they, they can't ever be good. At the point of their inception, they didn't have a choice. The fallen angels who produced the Nephilim, they had a choice. But their children never had a choice whether to choose good or evil. They were, they became evil at the point of their birth. And that's unfair. I think that's one of the reasons why God responded so wrathfully and angrily toward the production of the Nephilim is because it's just cruel to do that to a creature. God's purpose of creation is not to um, damn them all to hell. God doesn't, God, I think that's one of the biggest reasons that God put a stop to the Nephilim. He, he sent, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He, de, he destroyed the world in a flood. He did that because um, why would you just fuel hell? Why would you just fuel hellfire with new souls? God doesn't want anyone to perish. So that's that's what my dad would always tell me. Show them mercy by commanding them out of the house. Interesting. Very, very interesting. What do you think? What do you think about the UFO topic that's been so hot for like the past five years in connection to Nephilim? Well, I won't even say Nephilim, but I'll say demons um, or fallen angels. What is, do you see a connection there? What's your opinion on that? Okay. Um, the term demon can, is, is just a difficult way to classify. Um, I mean, um, my dad would like to only refer to demons as the, the disembodied spirit of the Nephilim. Um, this is referred to, I believe in one of the, 
one of the chapters in the book of Isaiah. I think I might look that up and and, and bring that up again. Um, but um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, the demon, the word demon has always had a broad range. Um, in the English language, when we're, we say the word demon, we're always referring to an evil spirit. Not in Greek. In Greek, we would, um, we would say daimonion. And these, these weren't necessarily evil. We would refer to an evil daimonion as a kakodaimon. Um, but uh, if we're referring to a good demon, we would say eudaimon. And so um, it would just refer to a lesser divinity. In the Hebrew, it says the word shedim. And it seems to come from the word shadu, which in the Assyrian culture was, again, um, a neutral spirit. It could be good or evil. It just meant a uh, household spirit. But it didn't have the same par as a divinity. And so um, it depends how we're using the term. If we we're using it in English, you could group fallen angels into the same area. If we're using the Hebrew meaning of the word. I would say, no, they're not fallen angels. They're the spirits of the disembodied Nephilim. And they're actually, in some sense, ghosts, right? Um, because uh, they're the only ghosts that do exist. I do want to make this note real quick, though. Um, there, one of the principles about what demons are is that is that when their spirit leaves the body of the Nephilim, they're trapped between two worlds. Now, in Enoch chapter 15, um, take that as you will, um, it gives the theory that the reason why demons cannot pass into the fully into the next world is because they were created halfway from heaven and halfway from earth and because they're not angels they can and they're not good they can't go to heaven and because they're not fully human they cannot un descend into the underworld which is earth the underworld is technically sheol is technically um part of earth or the corporeal world so they're trapped somewhere in between and um it's kind of like a glitch you know um i think whenever we see demons manifest it's like some sometimes um whether by their will or um without knowing they may accidentally just glitch into this world and we can see them physically but um i think that this is an important thing to note that this is why i don't think human spirits can manifest into this world because they're not like that um the humans whenever they're dead they're they're completely move on to the next world they have no crossways with this only demons are um anyway back to your question about aliens um i think a the extraterrestrial sightings um, I'll, I'm going to take the conservative position on this. Um, I think this is probably what you would agree with: is that they're 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 fallen angels, and they've um, because demons don't seem to have that level of power. Okay, they they have some some ways to manipulate what you see, but not to the extent that that the extraterrestrials they're able to um, they're able to manipulate you into believing that you're in a room and something's actually happening to you. And, um, and, and, and so um, I, my dad has told me about people encountering fallen angels and it was very different. Like one story I heard was that it was, they seemed as tall as uh, a basketball player, um, but they were really, they're too tall to come into the room, yet they walk into the room. 
So when my dad asked, is like, that's, that's kind of inconsistent. How did they enter the room if they were too big to enter into the room? And the person responded, well, it looked like they stretched the ceiling. Hmm. And um, what they were doing was they were distorting what people could see. There's right. always something just a little off, something uncanny about them. Whenever you see them, um, they can take many forms. My dad would argue, have you heard about the Nordics? Yeah. My dad would argue that the Nordics were actually the true form of hmm. the Nephilim. So people might suddenly see the, the Nordic, and um, but that's not what it intended for you to see. It intended you to see the, so it was kind of a lapse on their part where yeah. you suddenly see the, the Nordic when you were supposed to see um, an ex, one, of, one of those big eyed things. Interesting. That's um, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting topic. And I always, you know, I, I try mm -hmm. to stay open-minded, you know, given certain evidence and whatnot and data and um, you know, just it, like I, I've, I've been hearing in certain circles and it's okay if, if you're listening to this and you're one of the people that I'm going to mention, it's okay. But I always say we have to question everything. We got to test the spirit behind it. But I've been I've been hearing it say that somebody out there is teaching Christians that they know, and I don't know how they would know because they wouldn't, they couldn't know, so they could only be speculating that what we're seeing are fallen or fallen or and good angels that live on different planets in the galaxy, in not in the galaxy, but in the universe. And they're telling people that this is what it is and basically um, kind of throwing every other theory out the window. And it's my guess it's to sell a book. But I'm like, dude, for one, it doesn't say that in the Bible, even close. And you're taking data from people that are saying things and you just cannot be teaching that. I don't mind if we say it's a possibility. It's a possibility, but give me some evidence on that. I feel it's all connected, dude. Like I feel like the, the sleep paralysis, the alien abductions, DMT um, experiencers, um, uh, even um, other psychedelic drugs. Cause I used to do uh, back in, back in my twenties before I was saved, I did a lot of psychedelic drugs. I could tell you a lot of crazy things, a lot of dreams I've had, and I used to have a, re a reoccurring dream, and I say dream because I don't believe it was real, that I would that three hooded beings would come into my room, and I was highly drugged up on you know four or five different things on the same time when I would have these dreams. And so I think the whole thing is connected. I think you're, I think you're onto something when you're saying that they're manipulating or distorting you know, what we're able to see because that, that makes me, that, that makes me curious. Uh, cause I haven't had this sort of conversation with someone before. Yeah. What may, was there ever an experience of yours under DMT that made you think it wasn't just something in your head? Because that's, that's how most people would respond. They would be like, yeah, yeah of course you saw something cause you were high and people hallucinate. What made you think that it was something outside of your head. Yeah. So, um, just, just to clarify, I never, I did not ever do DMT, but I did LSD, uh, many times. And I used to take shrooms, um, as like a ritual, like once every, you know, quarter, you know, once in the spring, once in the summer, once in the winter, uh, once in the fall, 
um, we, it was like a ritual that my friends and I would do and it would be, you know, we would take a lot, a lot. Um, so I definitely had some demonic visions, nothing like you would hear from the DMT people though. But when I, when I would sleep though, is when I would have those dreams. But I will say this, the first time, the first time I ever did shrooms, and um, I think the psychoactive chemical is uh, psilocybin in, in mushrooms. Um, the, I was outside um, and we were having like a bonfire and the moon literally turned into an alien teardrop face. And it was like, it was like talking to me and like, I would look at it and I start laughing and it was like, it was talking to me and it was telling me things like communicating with me. And what I could tell you, and this is just me looking back as a Christian now, is that I believe what's happening is that you're opening up a portal to communicate with the other realm. And, it, and it's giving them, as and going back into what you were saying, it would be giving them like a legal right to come in, but, but in a much more clear form, like we get oppressed. We hear those voices, you know, like you're worthless, you're nothing. But this was like, no, talking to me, like almost like t telepathy. I think that God actually has set, I mean, there are, there are two theories that I have. One is that God has set a default in us that has made it so demons cannot easily enter in. It's kind of like a sickness. You're not supposed to have a demon in you. You're supposed to have only one spirit in you. And if anything, you have the Holy Spirit. Um, so, so it's not normal. So you're, so, so you might actually have some built-in capacities that keep them from entering into your body easily. The second theory is that, um, maybe because we are the image of God and, um, and, and so they can't just kind of hop in. So it's a rule thing, not necessarily. Yeah. So it's one of those two theories may hold up. And, um, but one thing that I do want to state though, is that I think demons know when you're looking at them and when, when you can see them, they know when you're taking notice of them. And when they do, they flock to you. Um, and so if you're taking, you know, hallucinogenic drugs, it's possible if it's not just something in your head, um, that they know that you notice them. And yeah. so they toy with you. And um, they like to have fun. Okay. They've been around here for so long. If, if you were, if you, if you were living in a state of misery uh, uh, and loneliness for, thousands of years depending on your view of the age of the earth they're at least six thousand years old I'm just messing around with with people so they they're gonna have fun when they can have it um but and and so they they like especially to do that to people who are somehow aware of them some people are born with some sort of deficiency maybe you could see it as a def deficiency they usually call it a gift i think it may be actually a deficiency though that they can just kind of see into that realm and demons are like, Hey, let's mess with that person. Cause that's usually how I hear what happens when, when demons is that they'll tell the story like, yeah, I can see ghosts and stuff. Now. Whenever I was a kid, they would just mess with me and stuff. Why are they messing with you though? Yeah. Not with so, anybody else. So let me, let me share something with, with you guys out there too, especially if you have kids um, I'm very up to date with just the drug culture, just because I came from the drug culture. But um, so a lot of people are familiar with a form of marijuana. It's called Delta 8, Delta 8 uh, THC. 
It's a form of marijuana. It's a synthetic form um, that most states that if it's not, if marijuana is not already legal are selling it. Okay. Now that's old news, but the new news is there is a mushroom, the um, mosquito. Oh, I can't even, I, I wouldn't be able to say it, but it's, it's the Delta eight version of shrooms. And it's a micro dose that most that you could buy it in. And so your kids can go online and buy this and they can trip a small little psychedelic trip legally now. Okay. Not only that is that they're doing, and I'm not against met medical things that actually work. And I don't know that this one does or not, but ketamine, ketamine is a legit, um, a legitimate, uh, uh, depression, chronic pain, uh, treatment now, which blows my mind because we, back in the day, like I grew up in a, in a city where there was a lot of horses being raised and ketamine was a horse tranquilizer and we would get it, um, from like the, so I don't know who they would get it from, but they would get it from like a veterinarian and we would do special K and that stuff, dude, it, it gets you. It, it trips you out, man. It's like psychedelic slash just crazy stuff. And so I find a connection even with the book of revelation, when they talk up, when, when uh, it says that they don't repent of their sorcery. And now, now here we're making um, these drugs accessible to anybody. And I, I find it super, super dangerous. So just a little warning from me. Um, if you have kids is watch, watch them because they could buy this garbage online. So, um, Aaron, you've got, you've got an interesting theory that I want to get into. Okay. Um, and then we're going to, we're going to wrap up the show with this. We, we're going to go a little bit over, but you had a theory about, um, the descendants of Jesus through his brothers, right? Yes. So let's um, take let's take a left turn and talk about this. Okay. So um I I've always taken interest in the brothers of Jesus. I, I don't remember really when it started, but um but it was always interesting to me the fact that Jesus had some some uh brothers and I've actually come up with over the years very complex theories about them. Um However, it was actually only recently that I realized that uh, the early church tracked their descendants for a while. And um, what's interesting, though, is that it seems that they believed that uh, Epiphanius was, was, is a chronicler that, that writes about this. Um, he writes that it was believed that they would these, these people were succeeding David on the throne of David. And the bishopric of Jerusalem was really just them uh, being the heirs of David. And so what's interesting about this is what does Jesus, uh, no, what does the angel call Joseph when it meets him um, right before Jesus' birth? He says, he calls him son of David. And so it's trying to tell us something about him Um and so in our records, you usually just calls them the sons of Joseph or the descendants of the household or family of Joseph, which is unique because Jesus was not the son of Joseph, right? So 
Um, so Jesus had something unique about him, okay? But God had chosen Joseph for some for some good reason. And we have the entire genealogy of Joseph for a good reason too. Um, his genealogy is actually in Matthew chapter one, but you're like, why are you telling this if Jesus isn't actually descended from Joseph? Uh, it's trying to show us significance of Joseph um, adopting Jesus. Jesus was a blood right to the had the blood right to the throne, though, as we find in Luke chapter three, he was descended um, from David through Mary. But what's interesting, though, is that Joseph is considered an important figure because he adopts Jesus and he is the heir to the throne of David because he descends straight from the kingly line. Jesus, by blood, did not descend through the kingly line. He was the son of Nathan, son of David. Um, uh, and Nathan didn't sit on the throne. Uh, only Solomon did. And um, so that's interesting to see that um, that the descendants of Joseph, the biological descendants of Joseph, had an interesting right as heirs of David. And what's another important part that I think Epiphanius points out is that um, what is the significance of um God saying he promised David that his throne will never be without an heir. And if you're saying that there's not an heir of David anymore, um, you're saying God lied. And so, um, yeah, it says like, um, I think it says uh, of Jeconiah that, the, that he's a broken, useless seal. Um, but then, then uh, so it says that none of his descendants will sit on the throne. However, then um, Zerubbabel, it calls him in the book of Zechariah, a seal. So it's talking about that, that eventually God would bring back this sort of idea. Anyway, what's interesting is, is that if you read Eusebius and Epiphanius, they have long um, uh, genealogies of the descendants of Jesus' brothers. Um, it doesn't, uh, it's more like a bishopric genealogy which means that this guy was bishop after this guy because this is this is just how the catholics would see it however they would always tell us that they were blood related to the descendants of jesus so only blood relate relatives of jesus could be bishop of jerusalem and these were jewish christians so they they had a they were unique from the gentile church because they did observe uh they didn't do away with circumcision. They didn't do away with the Torah. However, if you read um, something that uh, James says when he convenes the Jerusalem Council in Acts, he says that the Gentiles don't have to obey the Torah. They don't have to be circumcised or anything. But what he applies to them is what the Talmud calls the Noahic laws, which is what all the Gentiles have to deal with. They don't have to obey the Torah. And what's interesting about this is that he doesn't apply it to the Jews. He only says that the Gentiles are exempt. And I think that this is what's going on with them, is that the Israelite descendants of David, they did obey the Torah, but they didn't necessarily uh, enforce it upon um, the Gentile church. And so they continued up until the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm not talking about 70 AD, though. That's the destruction of the temple. 
What happens in 100 uh, in the 130s, though, is that um, Hadrian comes and literally takes Jerusalem off the map. He takes it off the map and renames it because and he, and then he builds on top of the ruins of the temple a pagan temple to the god Zeus. That's crazy, man. Yeah, I, um, it, it's it's interesting because um, there's something that follows this, though. I, I can see a positive correlation to the movement of the Catholic Church and the um, descendants of Jesus. Because um, what happens after the destruction of Jerusalem in 130 AD, which this is actually when the Zealot Revolt occurs, is what happens in the Zealot Revolts is that the Jews turn on Christians and they try to kill them. Why? Because the Zealots had a, had, had set up their own Messiah, Bar Kokhba. But the Christian, the Jewish Christians were like, no, Jesus is the Messiah. And so the Zealots saw them as traitors and murdered them. And so they were forced to flee. But what's interesting is that we can actually see where they went they went to Persia and they went in, into what is now the Syrian Orthodox Church, where some of them continued to be bishops. And um, the last descendant that I can record is a guy named Judas Cariacus. And he shows up in the fourth uh, century in 363 AD. It says that while he was in Jerusalem, um, the Emperor Julian has him martyred. And what had Julian done that year? Well, what he had done was, is that he told the Jews to rebuild the third temple. But we see divine um, divine efforts that stopped them from building the temple. Um, it says that fires broke out, earthquakes broke out. Um, and I think this is actually a response to the killing of this last descendant of uh, the descendants of the Disposony. That's what they're called. These descendants of the brothers of Jesus were called disposony. Um, these they usually get mixed up in the Jesus bloodline discussion because they say, "Oh no, they're not actually descendants of Jesus' brothers. They're descendants of Jesus himself." Well, that's a leap. <laughs> There's no ancient source that agrees with that. Um, but yeah, there was arguments that they descended from Jesus' brothers. Back to you. Do you, Do you have any? Do you have any? I mean. Do you have any theories of where they're at today? Um, if we were to look anywhere, we might have to look to Rome or Italy or France. Okay. Because that's where we're seeing them around at that time. It may be difficult to track them, though. Right. Because uh, it seems that they stopped their customs. They stopped... Um, adhering to the, the Torah, um, unless if they actually engaged in the, in the revolution of Messianic Judaism, which actually occurred rather recently. Um, they may be part of that now. They may have forgotten their identity. They may remember their Jewish heritage, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I do think they're out there, um, but I mean, kind of follows that the throne of David will always have an heir. Yeah. So that's, there's somewhere, but I don't know where to look. 
Yeah, you know, it's like that. That is so so darn interesting. Um, how you're saying that, you know, of how you make those connections. Um, but look, Aaron, we're we're out of time for tonight. But tell people one more time where they can find you on YouTube and where they can find your books and your Patreon. Yeah, please go down to the description here. He has all the links put down there. But um, just just for a quick recap, my my YouTube is Cosmologium. It's spelled like cosmology, but it ends with an I-U-M. And then um, uh, if you want to check out my books, all it is is just go to amazon.com slash author slash Aaron J. Miller, and you can find all of my books on there. I've published several. Um, you may be interested. I have a translation of the Book of Enoch. I have uh, one of my most recent books is called The Book of Abaddon, um, which I call a messianic text because it has some connections to Judaism. It's not just a Christian, fully Christian. So it has this sort of idea. I think maybe is one of the books of the Dysposmy. Um, uh, and so you can check that out. And uh, also, if you'd be interested in becoming a patron of mine, um, that would be also at patreon.com slash Aaron J. Miller. And um, but yeah, uh, please check out the newest videos that I released today um and get a good feel for the sort of content that i release um and thank you so much for having me on it was truly a blessing it was also very fun and i'd love to do this again yeah absolutely um yeah so please um aaron miller has my endorsement um when it comes to the videos go check out his videos it's definitely worth the time um his books i haven't read but sounds super interesting um Aaron, I really truly believe that you are next gen. Um, I hate to, I hate the term fringe, but we got to use it. You're next generation of the fringe content creators. God bless you. Um, we're gonna we're gonna end this right now, but stick around for one second, Aaron. Bye, guys. Love you.